The following podcast is dedicated to Eric Jalavara. It's just because nobody could pronounce my last name. What is your last name? Jalavara. Damn, my check. I had a little plastic board because he lived on a boat. Oh. I slept in Gumby's closet. Yeah, dude, it's like Indiana Jones kind of shit, dude. Like, come on, check this out. Next thing you know, the fucking fire department's there. Nolove.com. Nolove.com. I can see what we see. And it was just some random lady like, you like skate shit? You know, footage becomes evidence. Dude, it was straight up Lord of the Flies, like trying to fucking bring the whack pack along for all the bullshit. Well, dude, just like, all right, the hype blows itself out any which way, dude. That's just fucking pissing in the wind. Yeah. And dude, Jake, Jake was like, listen, man, this is how that shit is. It's fucking, this is skating, like, just get it. And you know, at the end of the day, dude, it doesn't matter really what you film or any of that. Like, that's it's just you getting together and fucking getting it. Get it? Like, that's what the sick shit was. Like, go fucking bomb a hill. This is our shit. You can't fucking put a stamp on this. You know? Every time I turn on the news, I see fucking, I see skateboarding. I see like KFC Cheetos rolling up to a bunch of kids at a skate park, and he's Colonel Chester. You know? <laughs> like, and the kids are like, yeah. And it's like everybody's always gonna try to fucking dry hump it. That's always, always what it is, dude. It's like, like fucking just get a buck chuck, get in on it, and you know, and it'll deflate again. It comes and it goes. You know, that's just not gonna go away. There's too many people that are just, that just go out and get it. As long as there's like a squad of kids, it just, they just don't care, dude. Down, they, they're just like fucking keep it rolling. Okay, to help change the mood up, Let's go to this clip of Jeremy Rogers. These are a few of my favorite things. Pussy money gold and diamond rings. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> was the night before the night before the night before Christmas. I'm Schmitty and this is Talking Schmidt. It's episode 100, kids, and to help us celebrate this incredible feat is San Francisco's homegrown homeboy, Tommy Guerrero. Should go to San Francisco. Look at my backdrop, though, dude. Sick. The word legend was originally supposed to be saved for humans like Tommy, but in today's era, we use it way too much to describe way too many people. Let's come up with a new name and save legend for the ones. The ones, the ones, the ones that do this. Tommy has always kept it 100 in everything he does, whether it be skating, editing, making music, being a father, or helping run one of the best brands in skateboarding. This intro alone could last an hour, but you already know. Before we kick into the episode, I'd like to let you all know that we will be having a podcast award show in a week or so after the holidays, and then I'm going on sabbatical. Sorry. Or maybe I don't apologize. Everyone tells me, don't apologize. Sorry. I shall return now. Okay. And now for the guest of honor. 
I'm Tommy Guerrero, and you're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Right now, be here, be there, be square, be anywhere. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Big dogs in. Smitty. 96 times, Smitty. Thanks, Smitty. We on? Smitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I be shit my pants. Man. Man. Rolodex is fucking deep. It's not the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Smitty. What the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. When I asked this next guest to be on my show, I was approaching episode 40, and he said he wanted to be episode 100. So sure. here he is, the guy Jake liked to call Tommy motherfucking Guerrero. What's up, Tommy? We did What's it. Up? I think he liked to call me a bunch of other uh, not-so-flattering things as well. Oh, yeah. We'll let that slide. Yeah. Did you... Um, purposely pick a hundred thinking I would never make it to a hundred and you, that'd be your skate route or? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I just figured there's no way this dude's going to last a hundred episodes in, you know? So I figured, yeah, all right. If he makes it to a hundred, <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. Here we are. Um, no, I just thought it would be, I thought it would be a cool number. That's all. Yeah. And thank you for letting me do that. Well, a lot of um, people are curious about if, having you on is actually a publicity stunt because you're relaunching 40s. I'm not relaunching 40s. <laughs> it's like the number one question. Really? What, yeah, like I'm interviewing Tommy. What do you, what should I ask him? When's he bringing 40s back? Oh, dude, I've been getting hit up so much on Instagram about that. Like just, you know, and the truth of the matter is actually there's someone interested who wants him to do a collab and I'm just waiting for them to tell me what their ideas are, you know, um, and whether or not we do it or not. Um, but, you know, clothing business is difficult. It's, it's not gratifying because when you're, when you're dealing with small numbers, you're dealing with, um, you're going to have a lot of issues because you're going to be put on the back burner at these sew factories, right? Because you're doing 300 pairs, not 3,000. And so they're going to put you on the back burner. Not only that, a lot of the times your garments come out wrong some way. I've never had a garment come out perfectly right ever. Um, so it's just, it's a difficult thing. You really have to be into it. Um, and after, I, mean, I don't know, I, I don't know how long I did it, 10 years. I was kind of over it because it's just difficult. And it's, mm. you know, there's not a lot of money in it. That's for sure. Right. I don't, I didn't want to make it in China because that's where everybody's, you know, yeah, manufacturing clothing these days and my stuff stuff was made in San Francisco you know right. like everything I picked up I would pick up from the uh from the manufacturers you know this the tack buttons the buttons the rivets everything downtown right on 9th and Howard the mm. zipper factory YKK the all the all the fabric was picked up in the Bay Area I would actually go and pick up the bolts of fabric and deliver it to the cut and sew uh, spot mm-hmm so it was all very DIY and it was all local and that's what was cool about it. With uh, Ben Davis and Levi's local, was there ever any thought of having them like have you be like, a you know, they could 
do all the hard stuff and you could come in and have a small company with under them under their wing or something no too under the radar you know i'm 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 not i don't know dude instagram's saying it's high on radar (laughs) (laughs) well not not for somebody at the stature of levi's you know ben davis you know that would maybe be a possibility because of jeremy fish you know roads or something Mm -hmm. but um you know again i just really have to be into it and not quite sure I am because really it's clothing made for skaters, you know, and it's, but it's all very basic stuff, you know, stuff that I already wear, like a pant, you know, a pair of denim pants, Levi's typically, but then you enhance them by, you know, adding, you know, uh, triple needle top stitches and to make them stronger and do certain things where you can make them more durable. Mm. But then, you know, they end up being in a store and they're, who knows, 75 bucks a pair. Whereas you can go like, to, you know, fucking target in those joints and get a pair of jeans for, you know, practically nothing. Right. So it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to want to do. You'd have to have a whole strategy behind it and a reason, you know, for it to exist. And I'm not sure yet, but we'll see. We'll see what these people come back with. They're, they're in the skate world. Yeah. And they're, they're hyped on it. Cool. All right. Well, where did it all start? Were you born at a hospital in SF? Born and raised in San Francisco. Which hospital? Um, I always forget. I always thought it was Kaiser, but it wasn't. My mom told me, and it wasn't St. Mary's. My my cousin and my aunt have been nurses for, well, my aunt was a nurse for like 40 years, and my cousin's been one for like the same amount of time at this point working there. But I always I always forget what hospital. Okay. Yeah. It, and you, did you grow up in the Avs? Mostly in the avenues, but I lived all over the city. Like, we bounced around. I lived in the Mission before. I lived in... Um, over on Green Street, over, uh, you know, Pacific Heights area with friends and family. I lived in, um, where else did we live? We lived in another location, but mostly Inner Sunset, like 7th Avenue, 12th Avenue, 17th Avenue, and for a bit on the 45th in Noriega with my aunt and uncle and cousins. Where were you when you started rolling for the first time? 7th Ave. 7th. Yeah, you know, you know where... Um, in uh, Future Primitive, where I roll into the door at the end of my little part. Yeah. That door, I, we lived across the street prior to that, and then we moved across the street, and that's where my mom still is. Oh, wow. Okay. And my cousin and, and stuff. And true or false, Henry Rollins was visited your mom or something or went to your mom's house when he was in Black Flag? Very true. What's the story so, with that? We were friends with Mugger, who was the roadie from Black Flag, who's in Not So Quiet on the Western Front. Uh-huh. So he, they were in town. And so they you know, contacted us and they came over and it was Mugger and Chuck Dukowski and Rollins. And so we were jamming in my garage and the garage is right next to the living room. So Rollins went and sat in the living room with my mom and watched TV while we made a bunch of noise. And uh, she, we were there, you know, we were jamming for a couple hours. You know, he was there, there talking to my mom for a couple hours. <laughs> and so afterwards, after he splits, my mom's like, oh, he's a nice guy. And we didn't know him because we, were, we only knew previous uh, singers, you know, Keith Morris, Dez, and those dudes. And we knew Rollins from SOA, State of Alert, right, when he was in the band. Um, and But we didn't know much about him. So that night we went and seen him, and I believe it was that Target video. And then, you know, he came out in his shorts and his Rollin-esque, yeah. you know, larger-than-life frighteningness, like, 
stalking the stage like a panther and you're just like whoa you know we were tripped out because he was because he when we first met him he's totally cool you know like right. normal normal guy whatever and then that night he just turned it on and you're like oh this guy's a fucking wild beast yeah it was, it was pretty rad those moments where you just know like oh this is special yeah yeah and i you know we we're 15 or something Fuck. what's it target video did you say Target video. Yeah, it was, there was a spot, uh, it was a club and, and they also, uh, had a, I don't know if it was captain video who did the shot, the video stuff, but, um, they would video the performances. And so people would go and play there and shoot the videos and, you know, they'd have an audience as well. And captain videos, the dude that made the first Thrasher video, the past, present and future. Yeah. And he, but he also did the, um, he did the hellhole or no, the dish. Uh, welcome. Oh, the contest or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and who was he into skating or he was just a video guy? Yeah, I think his son was, was a skater. Huh? Yeah. I always heard like, I don't know, but the rumors out there are he was tough to work with. Cause whenever we wanted to license some of that footage, they're like, good luck. Oh, wow. But that video was epic with like tales of terror, drunk engines, all the bands. And then Mark and, Rocco skating down the city uh -huh. streets. I remember we were just like, what? This is all, all that stuff's in Pantrero Hill. Like all that, most of that footage where Gons and, and Rocco were skating. Uh-huh. Like yeah, the Haro right. or something? Yeah, right near Deluxe. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. I know. That video was rad. I love that video. Yeah, same. We watched it a lot. Oh, um, so then was your first sponsor Madrid? Well, <clears throat> not, no. Like board sponsor, I mean? No, I, I mean, well, yes and no. It depends on how far you want to go back because me and my brother got sponsored by a, a team called A Lot of Flex from, mm. from Berkeley. A Lot of Flex was Jeff Sands was the guy, main guy behind it who's an industrial designer. And, you know, and um, it was Jeff Sands and then the team was uh, the Fisher brothers, Dave Fisher, Chris Fisher, Anthony Fisher, and then Paco Prieto and then uh, uh, Tim Martin. And another guy, Jay, Tim Martin invented the rock and roll. Mm. So he won, the, he won one of the Winchester contests. And he was from the East Bay? Yeah. And he, he invented the rock and roll. So anyway, so we, we met them at the, first, the Alameda Skate Park. It was in 76. And, and they dug me and my brother. We were little kids. And, we, and uh, they kind of took us under their wing. And so we started skating for them. And they made boards. Initially, they made metal boards, like aluminum boards. And that's where the lot of flex comes from. And then, and then they started making wood boards and then they made, he made trucks. Jeff made uh, blades. Do you know those trucks? Mm -hmm. oh, hold on one sec. Check this shit out. So, so oh, the, you have some, yeah. Oh, these are, are those the ones that you replace. Like it's like a coper, like a metal that, coper. That's right. So yeah, you would replace it. Check it out. See where the hole is right, right there. You would screw it on right there and it would cover the axle. So you could, you could, so you could replace it instead of grinding your trucks down so much and then having to get a new trucks. And that was the idea behind it and the lightness. And if you look at the base plate, I don't know if you could see, but there's, there's, they're hollow in these spaces here that made them really light. And supposedly they made wide ones after they made these, there was um, some prototype ones. They made wide, wider trucks, like one thirty ones or something, you know, comparable, but these are, these are before Indies. Was that before, that wasn't before Stroker though, right? No, it was around the same time. Oh. It was probably right around the same time. 
Wow. Because they crossed over because the, the, the lore is that there was a skater that rode for these, rode for them, and yet he had got the first prototype of the Blades trucks from Jeff. And, he, and then the guy, the rider, I forget the dude's name, took him to Fausto, and supposedly that's where they got the geometry from, Indy. Huh. That's what I heard when I was a kid. Way, Here come the way comments. Back. So that's all I heard. But all I know, Jeff Sands is a total, he's a genius. And he made, he actually made uh, the, the, I think it was monster trucks. Um, he helped them design those trucks. Um, hmm. But he's uber smart. He's one of those hyper intelligent dudes. And he just lived over in uh, South Park forever. He's still in the city. And he still has his office and space there. So anyway, they made boards, a lot of flex did. So we rode for them. So initially, so that was kind of my real first sponsor in the late seventies. And then they sort of went under when everything crashed. And then I didn't, you know, I obviously didn't have a sponsor or anything for many years. So Madrid in, you know, in the early eighties was my first sponsor. And how did, where Madrid was Southern California? Yeah. So how did that, how did you, was it a contest or? No, I, it was um, actually, so maybe it was from after the first street contest, you know, in Golden Gate Park, uh-huh. the very first one. Um, after that, you know, obviously people were wondering what was up, you know, with me. I mean, skateboarding was just starting to creep back up. Um, and I had won that contest, which was a big deal because a no-name come out of nowhere and beat all these pros or whatever. Uh, people started, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, becoming interested in me, I guess. And anyway, so I had known Chuck Treese and Tom Graholski from uh, meeting those guys out in Del Mar, like in the early eighties. And they had come, they'd driven out once and they stayed with me at my mom's house. So I'd known Chuck and, and Tom for a really long time. They mm-hmm. rode for Madrid, you know, and so they got me on, they put in a good word and they got me on Madrid. Wow. That's insane. So you've known Chuck forever. Dude, forever. Like he, I have tapes that he sent me of like a cool DJ red alert tape <clears throat> mixes from the radio from like 83. Fuck. Yeah. So one of my questions and I, I'm going to use it, but I shouldn't was how instrumental was Chuck Treese in your career? But, uh, <laughs> um, was he a vine though for like finding early music and stuff? Like, was he, how did you, like, yeah, you were, yeah. like, always kind of in the forefront of, like, that stuff as well. Yeah, the hip-hop stuff, I was, got into really early on. Once I started, once it came to the West Coast, like, through the movies and stuff, and, hmm. you know, in the early 80s, I was super into it. And yeah. so, Chuck, you know, being from Philly, like, you know, they, they were already on top of it on the East Coast. That's where all the shit was happening. He mm-hmm. would send tapes out and stuff uh. that you couldn't get here that didn't even exist. You couldn't find it on, on uh, vinyl or anything. So I would have these tapes of these mixes of the radio show of just all the killer stuff coming out of New York and, you know, surrounding area. Okay. Was that around the time that you met um, Fausto? Cause I know you, you knew him early. Oh, no, I met Fausto. Me and my brother met Fausto and Eric really early on when they were working out of a bicycle shop at Nomad. Like they had their friend uh, own Nomad Cyclery on like 25th and Irving. And they they were, and they sold skateboards too. That's like one of the first spots that sold skateboards. Um, 
And so I know they were friends and they were sort of working out of that space, probably using his workspace or something when they were doing stroker. So we met them there and they used to come to a schoolyard, you know, Jefferson on 19th and Irving. Yeah. Um, so we used to go there cause I lived two blocks away and everybody would meet up Ray Meyer, BK and uh, you know, Mike Brown, all those dudes, we'd all meet up at the schoolyard and they came up and they would put out cones and they would test the strokers there. And they had um, this one guy, I forget his name. I don't know. It was like crazy Louie or something. Dude was a crazy slalom dude. And, but um, so he had a Maharaja board with uh, strokers on it. And, and those things turned like insane because they were like independent searing. If they, if no one's ever seen them, they should look them up because they were wild. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. Be, beastly trucks. So they would come up to the schoolyard and they would watch us skate and they really liked my brother. And I think they even gave him a pair of strokers back then to, to ride. Cause my brother was like the best out of all of us at that time, which is probably 78, 77, 78. So before the mag. 77. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way before that. Way before any of that stuff. Way before. Uh -huh. So um, that's how I've known those. That's how long I knew those dudes. I mean, and what were they like back then? Were they the same type of people or did they evolve as their business came in? No, they were always the same characters. Were they? No shit. You yeah. know, they took no shit and gave out plenty. <laughs> you know, but 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 those dudes, you know, those dudes were still solid. They were just, yeah, I miss, I really miss having those guys around. I mean, because... They could tell you to get fucked one minute and then turn around and apologize and say like, oh, no, you're right. You know, you, they, they would always know when they were in the wrong and they were willing to admit it as well as, as well as they gave everybody a second chance. Like how many times, how many people were fired for some kind of shenanigans and they were just rehired again. Like, all right, don't fuck up this time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew Fausto obviously a lot better than Eric, but um, with my experience with Fausto, it was just that he gave all the dipshits opportunity. Like, we'll start you where you're able and maybe you grow into something, maybe you don't, but you're going to have an opportunity. Like, I mean, a lot of us had no idea what we were doing when we first started and then we just hung on because we had the, the passion and the drive and I think Fausto really was in tune with that. Like, this dude will kill himself to keep this job. And like, those are the kind of guys I want to work. Like, I want these guys to, you know, do as much as they can and, and be dependable. And I feel like that's kind of the, the thing that, at least over at Thrasher, like that's, I mean, Jake started in the warehouse and then all of a sudden he's the editor, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, no, th those guys, they, they had a way of recognizing, you know, people who had something special about them um whether it was the fire you know the drive the passion etc um or so or some kind of talent they they could recognize it and, and pull you in and and uh, hopefully um you know help help you kind of realize that potential because they knew i mean but they're and and they were also just fucking big kids you know they love to have fun and yeah. they love to be wild too i mean like yeah. so you know, skater energy is fucking, we, we get, we tend to be wild. There's nothing like going to ASR with Faustil. Oh. 
Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how how connected to those guys were you when the mag launched? Like were you were you, were you aware of the mag coming out and all that or I, I wasn't I wasn't connected with them at that point in time. Um because when skating had died, like all the parks closed. We used to go to Winchester Campbell, you know, all, all the parks in the South Bay, when they all closed, we just went back to street skating, basically, just skating whatever we could again, you know, and going to ditches and whatever, you know, somebody had a backyard ramp. And it was really um, pretty low profile at that time. Um, and I also, my all my buddies rode BMX bikes. So we would go down to Golden Gate Park. I lived half a block away down from Big Wreck and we build jumps. So we go down there on BMX bikes and jump and shit and go into the park and Sundays where they close it off and ride bikes and freestyle. And it's, mm. we did everything. Like I used to freestyle skateboard, like I've entered contests where I used to do slalom and done barrel jump, you know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, sure. skate for street, but it was just all skateboarding. It didn't, there wasn't, it wasn't fragmented, you know, in the way that it became later. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't real hip to, to when they were first getting started. I mean, I seen the first mag and everything. Um, and, and from going to, you know, I was in the punk scene, we were heavily in the punk scene. You know, we had probably at that time, I don't know, free beer was probably around 81 to 84, something like that. But before that we were in revenge with Shrugi was the singer. No so, way. Yeah. Shrugi was a singer. And, um, and my brother, me and my brother, you know, were in, in the band. And before that, it was Jerry's kids, with different Jerry's kids, with BK on bass. And I was singing. Our very our very first band. Damn. And then my brother switched, play, was playing drums. I was playing bass. And then he switched to guitar. And then it was bass and guitar. And then we switched. And then we eventually came became free beers. We go to all these shows all the time, Mab on, you know, the Mab or the on Broadway. Um, and then, you know, there's all, all the other clubs in the TL. There was um, Sound of si Sound of Sirens is what we called it. <laughs> and uh, there were, you know, ones in, on the, in the mission. So we, I would see those guys. We would see them at shows and stuff, you know. Um, especially, like, I remember KT, MoFo, you know, would always be around. And I remember MoFo from Campbell Skate Park in 78. So we would just see him around. So I don't know how it came to be, but you know, like KT called me, got in contact with me and wanted to go shoot photos. And there was that one first photo of me, like off the bank street. Um, I forget what street that was. It was in Noe Valley. And it said, this kid can catch air off a dime. I'm doing like a little backside air on the, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, it just, came from seeing those guys around and already knowing Fausto and Eric. Uh -huh. so. do, do you remember if you re like, were you aware when the first, when the mag was launched? No, I don't remember it um, okay. being that way, especially where would you find a skateboard mag? Yeah. You know, there were no skate shops. 
there was there was uh, skates on hate wasn't there skates on hates was there <laughs> I, I worked there for a little bit because my brother worked there joe fong worked there bk worked there mike oh, brown shit. everybody worked there and i worked there i think i was 14 when i first worked there no way and uh so everyone worked at skates on hates but <clears throat> but there was that time when i was just it at skate any of the skate world outside of me and my brother or bk and just a handful of us it was off radar completely so I don't remember when the mag was launched or anything or where you could even buy it. I mean, I had no money anyway, so I probably couldn't have bought it. Um, so it was just a little after that um, that I started to get hip to it, really. Hmm. Okay. And you yeah. had already known Bryce? Were you guys neighbors or something? Oh, yeah. No, me and Bryce, we, we've known each other, again, since skating um, at Jefferson Schoolyard. Because they used to have, we used to have local tryouts for um, this one skate shop, uh, California Precision, and they would have local tryouts for the team, you know, right. uh, tryout for the team. And so everybody would show up, all the local, all the SF skaters, you know, that were, you know, which was not that many. Um, but so we would all meet up at Jefferson and we, a, a lot of us met there, like I met Ray Meyer there um, and probably met BK through that way and maybe Joe Fong too. Huh. You know, there, but there was a skate shop that we used to go to out in the, in the marina um, right next to Balboa, I think, school, if that's correct, um, before Cal Precision, where we had met a couple people, maybe Joe there. But yeah, I mean, it's a little hard to say, but no, I, but at least I've known BK probably since 78-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then we all became friends and he, once he got the car, it was on, you know, he drove to the skate parks. It was awesome. And you go to San Jose or wherever. Yeah. We used to take Bart and then the, and then buses and then one, but once he got a car, that it was awesome. What was the best local park? Winchester, uh, Milpitas. Was there one at, uh, Milpitas uh, was the best all around. Milpitas? Most people will say. Yeah. Because there had more stuff that was skatable, you know, um, but as far as, you know, the best pool, Winchester, obviously, hands down, mm -hmm. the washboard there, and then the little, the little like teardrop, you know, pool wasn't vertical, you know, it was just like a, almost like a bird bath with coping, but that was super fun. Everything else was like, ah, unless you're a local, it was like, eh, but Milpitas, everything was, everything was skatable. Was there one in Burlingame? Yeah. Like Burlingame. Coyote Point? Uh, Berlin game was fucked. It was. <laughs> that thing was terrible. Okay. That thing was terrible. Most most of the parks were pretty terrible. Um, then there was uh, Campbell, which was which was pretty good, but it was it, it super kinked. Like hmm. the one the one there was a white bowl that was probably I don't know maybe eight foot somewhere around there. It's pretty small, but it was like a I don't know what you call it a kind of a figure eight shallow kind of a shallow end, no coping, and then a deep end. That mm. thing was fun. That was fun, and they had sort of a big reservoir with with moguls in it. That was fun. It was it was pretty good. Um, but I think that even closed before Winchester and Milpitas did. I can't remember. There's some ramp. I think it's called the Grim Ramp. Yeah, Grim Ramp. That yeah. was a that was old than back then, right? That was brothers. Oh. It wasn't that old. Grim Ramp was that was eighties. Eighties. Yeah. Okay. Like, like probably later eighties. Where was that? Out in the Richmond, like oh. 25th and 
I don't know, kind of far out there, like California or something, somewhere down that way. You know, it was in a pretty, they, and it was, you know, nice neighborhood. They had, they came for money, but mm-hmm. then somehow they convinced their parents to let them build this huge fucking ramp in their yard. You know, there's rad photos of Christian skating it and Roscoff was there, me and Camden. That's where Camden was fucking spinning 540s and almost making them. No like, way. Yeah, just after, I mean, not long after it was, you know, came about. That was the only ramp in, at that time in the city of Verd, except maybe HP was still around, maybe. There was, you know, there was no vert here. And right. so that's why most of us became street skaters. What year was Boys Club? Earlier 80s. Earlier 80s. The Boys Club ramp was like a mini vert ramp. Mm. I don't even know if it was like, maybe it was seven foot and mm. probably just a vert. Um, so it was, in be- it, was just, it was in between. It was really, it was fun, but it was strange because, uh, you know, because it was such tight training and so small. Tom Graholski went there and fucking tore that thing, that lip to pieces. He was, was doing shit we never so even good. seen. He was doing shit we never even seen. Hey, let's take a quick little break and hear from some of our friends, and we will be right back. Hey, it's Matt D at DLX Skate Shop, 1831 Market at Guerrero, as in Tommy. Come see us. Real, Antihero, Crooked, Thunder, Venture, Spitfire. We are here every day of the week except the big holidays. We've got a curb and we've got smiles on our faces. Come let us get you stoked. Who came up with Tommy Chicken? Chicken, the chicken thing just, I don't know how it happened. Like I, I like to say I have a touch of Tourette's <laughs> because I fucking, you know, go off on these tangents. Jeff uh-huh. used to say I had derailment of association because I'll, I'll one word can trigger like a whole you know, tangent of thoughts uh-huh. or, you know, stream of consciousness thing happening, you know, and I, you know, it's, it's always been that way. Like if you go back and read interviews, I'm always off on some fucking goofy tangent. It's just from being a goofball really. And so mm-hmm. I used to say chicken all the time. And so they just was our Tommy chicken, you know, fucking Arco or Phelps or somebody. I don't what, know. Was that like post pal or during bell? Maybe post pal. I think okay. post Maybe around then, maybe at the, maybe at the end of Powell. I don't know, dude. How am I supposed to know? Seventy four years ago. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the things I've been looking forward to talking to you about is your uh, days working the skate shop with Jake. Yeah, uh, I got to hear a lot of um, things from Jake. <laughs> What I've loved doing is talking to the people he would tell stories about and hear their versions. <laughs> but. I, you know, I was wondering, like, was he always a dick? Was he the same way in the shop? Yeah. And Yeah. Yes. He was always a dick. Right. 100%. But he would have these sort of, uh, sort of moments of kindness where he would do something for someone, you know, like give them free grip tape or grip their board or give them some bearings because their bearings are jacked or just shit like that, you know, but he, but he would do it in his Jake way give me that fucking, you know? Um, but no, he was always a dick. So he I mean, was he a did. grumpy old man as a young kid. Yes. Completely. <laughs> Completely. I mean, you can ask anyone who came through there. I mean, they, they all said, they all know. Was there any like rules he had? Like, you know, he had the no black socks rules, no cargo after 30. Was there any skate shop specific rules? Like you have to grip your board a certain way or like whatever. Probably. 
there probably was because he's you know he's like that he's, yeah he's my way or the highway kind of shit you know uh-huh. um I'm, there probably was i don't remember but i do remember like him showing a kid like how to grip his board like properly here's how you grip it you know put it down you know and um he, so he would he would always try to impart that kind of information you know some kind of knowledge when it came to skating to everyone who came through that door in his very Jake-like manner. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, most of the time it was fucking empty, you know, cause skating was dead. It was in this pop. Yeah. And um, we watched, we would just watch TV. And that was and, the one, was that on Waller? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Damn. What yeah. did, did he, do you remember if he had like that brain where it was like, association like oh that was that was the same day kennedy died like he always had that i don't and that's the thing i don't remember that about him when we were working together like i don't know if it came into play so much at that time because there he maybe there wasn't enough history for him personally to draw upon Hmm. whereas you know another 10 years whatever 20 years later he could reference things like, oh, I was there 20 years ago and blah, 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 blah. And then he'd reference it with something else. Hmm. But maybe maybe it was too early on. I, I don't know. Because I don't remember that, you know, him being. Yeah, it could I, have I, been I, like an older, wiser. Yeah, when he had, you know, but he still had a memory that was, you know, insane. It was incredible. Yeah. So how did the um, Ollie off the launch ramp, how did all that stuff like how did you get that going? Was it from the curb cuts in the streets or like? Um, one second. Give me one second. Okay. Okay. I'll explain how. Mm. <laughs> we needed another beer for this one. Yeah. We started alling like pretty early on, but what we were doing initially was you would, you would try to ollie and you would always kind of turn 180, right? It was like the tail would kick out. So we started alling to axle on stairs, like, fuck really early way before i was even sponsored like 80 in the early 80s 81 82 80 somewhere in there you know so we're like you know scooping your tail ollie up and you land an axle on on a stair and you know you're just trying to mimic like doing the 50 50 or whatever like you're skating vert so once we started you know learning to ollie straight um you know that opened up the doors to everything right especially with street skating when you're flying down a hill you're just like, oh shit, you just ollie up the curb. And that was revolutionary. That changed everything. But the ollie to grab happened accidentally at a demo. And I believe the demo was in Santa Barbara. And it was, it was, I was riding for Powell early on. And I was already launching off jump ramps. Like one of the first photos is from that, from Hawaii, from that article, the Thrasher one. I think it's 84. Um, and we're doing a demo. It was a bunch of us were in Hawaii. Cab had the cover. Like no, wall ride. No, I think it was the one. I think it was the one where I had the cover. Oh, okay. Or maybe no, maybe it was that one. Maybe it was before. There was that. like a ramp to wall. I think. It, yeah, there was, but the photo. So there was a photo of me on a on a jump ramp that was like a hump, and it said, I think it said Nalo on it or something, and it was in Hawaii, and I was doing an ollie, and that was before the ollie to grab. Cause I had learned to Ollie off the launch ramps and bumps and everything in the streets, but the grab thing, just whatever, whatever reason didn't happen. So anyway, I was at a demo in Santa Barbara and I was doing, um, 
I was alling off the jump ramp. And one time I leaned back too much and I just instinctively grabbed my board in a mute position, just grabbed it like, ah, you know, trying to hang on. And I hung on and landed. And then that, and fucking once I landed and there was some, you know, some of the other guys were there and they just looked at me and I just was like, holy shit. It just, you know, the light bulb, you know, almost, you could almost see the light bulb above my head, like, ding. So that's when I'm like, you know, fucking grab, fucking grab it however you can. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it just that's how it came to be it was just an accident i just you know grabbed my board and be like oh that, that was it wow so did you like kind of like get the ollie going off curb cuts or was it like at the dish or like what? yeah it was it was all of that stuff i mean it was off the flat you know um like in future primitive when i ollie over that bush you know just off a of flat trying to ollie over stuff and then curb cuts really you know kind of honed it in trying to figure out how to just snap it. Um, and then the dish too, for sure. But did it kind of evolved that you started like doing the 90 degree, like up onto a stair or whatever. And then you figured out like, I need to do that going up a curb when I'm coming down hills. Yeah. Once, once we figured out how to do an Ollie just straight without, without kicking it out to like a 90 degree deal. Um, I wasn't the only one doing, you know, learning to Ollie. It was kind of a bunch of us at the same time. And, you know, once you took it to the hills, so you could just keep bombing the hill and ollie up the curb because i like to skate the sidewalks a lot i just didn't like to bomb hills that wasn't my thing i liked Mm. all the nooks and crannies um that opened up the door in that sense you wouldn't have to you know wait for a driveway etc to get up onto the sidewalk um it was it was you know i mean it obviously revolutionized everything the ollie for sure and then the you know just ollie to grab also you could go higher that way than early grab because you basically just as if you can just try to hook your carcass as high as you possibly can and then just grab it, you know, um, it just it was easier. And it and, and I think it it just <clears throat> off of ramps and stuff, jump ramps, it just looked better, too. But I mean, you were versed it. You skated vert already. So you knew yeah. how to do airs already. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I skated vert forever. You know, I mean, I grew up when we skated skated skate parks and stuff. Um, I entered any of the contests. I entered Terra at Tahoe when I first started skating for PAL as an amateur. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Was so- it, it was super slippery. So I put on, I had some mini, uh, mini bones, you know, but they were like, you know, the really big fat ones and they were like 85 durometer. And I put those on with hoping that it wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't, it would help with the, the slipperiness, you know, give me some kind of traction. And, and, but, but riding super soft wheels on a vert ramp, you know, it was like, uh, it's not good. So it just, it was, I had a hard time with that ramp because of that, but I had skated it prior, but we, we would go and enter all the contests, man, all, all the contests everywhere. I won a snowboard at some contests, like up North ones on some vert ramp and I got first and I won a snowboard and I was like, what? And it became... <laughs> What we used to go to Spock's house, you know, he had a he had a dungeon uh, uh, bedroom, and we go down and play quarters. It became the quarters table. This snowboard I never got ridden once. <laughs> I've never snowboarded in my life ever. Huh. Never once. So um, so yeah, so I I grew up skating for and everything, but we never had any ramps in San Francisco specifically at that time, like or any bowls or anything where you could you know skate all the time and become really confident and. and and progress it was only when we had enough money to make it to the skate parks that we could skate for what was your what was your main city crew back like back then in the early 80s 
were you did you already know Arco and Mickey in them or was that later? I knew Mickey from high school. So oh. when I first I went to high when I first went to high school, uh, I was fourteen. Obviously, um, Mickey wasn't there yet because he's a year younger than I am. So the second year, Mick showed up with some other people who you know some other cats who we became friends with. But Mickey skated. He was a freestyler at that point. So anyone with a skateboard at that time, we well, were friends. But Mickey was like you know super fucking. He was a lady killer, you know, but he, you know, like sweet shirts and, you know, (laughs) nice feathered hair, you know, and I was total spiked hair, bleach spiked hair, spike belts, the whole deal, fully, fully punk rock, you know, and, and um, that didn't go well with a lot of people in that school. A lot of people weren't having it. So I used to get harassed by every faction in school, like the, the stoners and the, and the cholos and the, you know, the fucking gangsters and, and every single one of them used to give me grief. There, there was this full on WPOD is what they were called. He used to wear a Harley Davidson shirt with a swastika on it to school, you know? And, uh, he, um, used to harass me because his girlfriend was nice to me. So he would give me shit. And, and, uh, it just, it was always like that. No one, you know, no one uh, was having the little kid, little punk rock kid. Yeah. So I met Mick because he skated in the next year, which was cool because when I first went, gone to high school, BK was there. BK um, and then all of our other friends, Mike Brown, who used to, you know, we used to skate in his backyard. He had these ramps and, uh, and a few other people. So I hung out with the seniors and, um, and we're, you know, we're all skaters. And then once they left, I had nobody. I was like, oh man. So then that's when, that's when Mick showed up and a few other people. Mm. Yeah. Who learned the kickflip first, you or Mickey? Probably me. <laughs> that's what I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a hard one. <laughs> oh, I got one too. The a lot of people asked me about this one. Was the Louis Vuitton hat fake or real? Totally fake. <laughs> I don't even think you said it was a flea market or something. I don't even think you could get the real stuff. I wouldn't even know where to get it. I mean, I didn't have the money to get it, but no, we, we knew of a place. There was a place that did bootleg stuff. Um, I think it was on um, Chestnut Street in the marina. Cause we used to get, there used to be a spot we used to get Chanel shirts from and those were bootleg. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, I can't remember where we used to go to get that bootleg shit, but it was in the city. Huh. And, you know, it was just, cheap shit because I, I had the little you know whatever the hip sack what are those called the oh yeah fanny pack fanny pack <laughs> that fanny pack one and my hat she was tight yeah cause i was you know i was a big hip-hop fan i was i was super into it you know like pe eric b and rakim karis one Dela, right you know Dela, jungle brothers um tribe but most like early on like the earlier stuff before Dela was even around um, so yeah, I was just into it. I, du- I dug it. I was a big fan. Had my Kangol. I was going to, I was told I was going to get beat up when we went to New York at a demo. I was told I was going to get beat up if I wore my Kangol <laughs> by these, by all the skate, New York skaters. Were, were you sponsored by St. Ides? Mm-mm. Camden was. Camden was. Camden was. Camden was sponsored by St. Ides and he would bring <laughs> over cases of that shit to my house. Oh my God. Terrible. Yeah. What a, because I used to rock the shirt, though. 
Yeah, because they gave him shirts, so he he would always dole them out, you know. Sick. It was a sick shirt, though. Gotta say. What about filming the chin thing in the SF part? How how long did that take? How many was it? A couple of days, a week, like the chin, the chin part in in the like city? just the SF segment of uh, the probably, video chin. Probably two days because really? because Stacy would not give you any time to film, like. If if you landed something, that was it. That you're done because he was, you know, he was shooting the big, the big fucking huge camera in that in that film, and it was super expensive at the time. But but you wouldn't get to redo it. Like you do something sketchy, he's like, all right, good, we got it, we're on to the next. Like no, 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 wait a minute, I can do it better, and you wouldn't even get a second chance. It was it wasn't like that. Like we would shoot those videos for such a short amount of time, it was incredible. You didn't, it, you just what. You skated that day. That's what you got. That that's it. So, so, were you kind of the point man? Was there pressure on you? Like, we're coming to SF. Where are the spots? Or did they? Did yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I took them to all the spots, and that there was no pressure. It was like, oh yeah, we'll just go skate because that's what we do, right? Like, you never. That's you a know, lot to do in two days. It might. It, it yeah. I don't see. I don't even think it was more than two days. There's, and like, it, oh, we'll call Orb and we'll set up this thing, okay. like all that yeah. stuff, like. Was yeah. it preconceived or was it on the fly? No, it was it was preconceived when he met when he met Orb. He's like, "Oh, this guy is a fucking character. We gotta have this guy <laughs> in, in the movie," you know. First impression with Timothy Donald McKenney. So, um, Orb. Tell me about when you first met Larry Guerrero. Larry Guerrero, 1974. Albuquerque, Old Mexico. We were playing in the same band. He was on stand-up bass. Came in the room, he was eating a tuna fish sandwich. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, Orb. I, I meant Tommy Guerrero, the skateboarding musician. Tommy, first time I saw him, I was walking down the hall in my freshman year, down the stairwell, and I saw this kid getting harassed by some brothers. Uh, apparently they were smacking him in the back of the head, and I see this guy, full Sid Vicious, spiked hair, fucking tattered tank top, he's got a, a, a chain with a padlock around his neck. Um, I don't know what kind of shoes he wore. He, they weren't Sid boots. He wasn't that committed, but he's fucking swinging this motorhead spiked with little metal pyramids and spikes on it belt. Trying to fucking get with it like four guys twice the size of his in full fucking battle mode. I never seen the guy before ever. We ended up meeting like eight months later via skateboarding because he didn't really attend our school. But uh, that's the first time I saw Tommy, and he was just balls out, backed into a corner, ready to fucking kill with his motorhead belt spinning above his head. So, Orb being Orb, I don't know if you've seen all those outtakes that, that are out there. No. Oh, yeah, because there, there's, there's a whole bunch of outtakes um, that, that didn't uh, get put in the film, you know? 
Oh. Tons of footage, tons of other extra footage. And uh, Sean Mortimer, Mortimer sent it to me a while ago. So I, and I think Frankie even has a copy because I think Mort sent it to him. So there's outtakes of Orb, like, you know, just riffing on all the shit that he says. And uh, so that was real, that was just off the cuff, all the Orb shit, how that ended up. In there. Have a good time and wear your pads. All right, thank you. Maps to the skaters' homes. Maps to the skaters' homes. Can I help you guys with some information on ramps, streets, ditches, curbs, you know? I've got it all here, really. It's my business and I love it. This map, it's one of a kind, man. You blow it up, it's got maps of the old time skaters home, it'll be good luck. Okay, man. Thanks a lot, bro. See you later, yeah? Good luck. Enjoy the hills. And was it the same for all you guys, like Bunsen over the Jensen, Cormelia, all that stuff? Was that like just ramble and we'll take the best stuff or like? Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that was just me being, you know, watching too many cartoons, you know, like just being, (laughs) just being a goofball is really what it comes down to. Um, Did it come back to haunt you? Did people like. Of course. People still (laughs) do tag me on it. Yapple dapple or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Ripping style, Holmes. <laughs> all, all of that. All the time. And it's, it's great. I, it's totally fun. I, I love it. My favorite one, though, is Shacklackle, my Dillard, or whatever that one was. I was, like, I was yeah. watching it today. I was like, Shacklackle, my Dillard. Dude, you could have Shacklackled your Dillard all over that place. Was that your first experience with Johnny Rad, or had you known about this guy? Yeah. yeah. So he crazy. Was- I think he was Stacy's neighbor when he oh. lived. Stacy lived on Sunset in L.A., and I think he was—that was his neighbor. And he was like, you know, I think he was an actor and maybe, um, maybe a comedian or something. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember the story exactly, but I think that was his neighbor. And, and he was—he's obviously a character. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. I see. We seen him not that long ago when we when they rebuilt the chin ramp um, out at. Uh, uh, the the uh, Woodward or somewhere. Yeah, we seen him and, and it was it was rad to see him. And they performed. It was so awesome. Was Just great. amazing, amazing piece of time right there. It was like so good. The the resonance that it had with people. I mean that whole film, of course. But the resonance with Johnny Rad. You know, so many people in bars have re- recreated the Blue Tile Lounge. There's I've seen I've been seen pictures and been sent pictures of the blue tile lounge and people either in someone's garage or at actually at a bar, there's one in Oakland, you know, there's tons of them. It's pretty mm. cool. Fuck. Yeah, in those early days when like Nottis and Mark would come up and skate and you guys would all skate the city. Is there, was there some rad moments that happened that didn't get documented that you can remember? Like, Oh dude, if there was a camera this day, you know, cause there wasn't cameras as, as much back then. No, there were never cameras ever. That didn't exist. Anytime, anytime those guys would skate, you, I mean, there's always something amazing happening. There's shit, there's shit that, that those guys would do where it's like mind blown. You know, they were so far ahead. Um, you know, when, when Nada started doing the Nolly and he had like a, you know, four inch nose or something, he did not that Nolly 50 50 and when he was doing all these Nolly tricks and you're just like, what? Like, what? How do you do that? And, and of course, Mark would, Mark was, is, is, and was, um, 
super in the moment, super Im- improv everything. Like he would just do something and probably never do it again. You know, he's one of those kind of dudes. Mm. And so just skating with, with him through the city was always like, what the fuck it was incredible. He would come and stay with me at my mom's house and um, he would go skate to like two in the morning and I would be up like worried, like where the fuck is Mark? Is he okay? You know, concerned, like he's in the city, he's going to get murdered, you know? And he finally come back. I'm like, where were you? He's like, I went to eat sushi and I went skating. I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, I was like, all right, dude. You know, my mom always thought he was totally like a total weirdo, but she liked him, you know, she used to laugh at him. Cause you know, he was funny. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you do? Was there any other thing you would do besides skating when they would come? Was there anything in the city like you'd go fuck around with? No, not not really. When they, you know, it depends. Like certain era, like when I was on my own, when I moved out from my mom's and stuff. You know, I, my house was like the big party house. I my my buddy Gadget and and Paws brought over their turntables, so there was a, a turn turntable setup, DJ setup, twenty four seven. There was always a keg in the corner because someone always would bring a keg, literally a keg there 24-7 with a DJ setup. So the party was always on. It was like, it was out of control. And so everyone would just end up at my place after skating and people would come over, non-skaters and et cetera, just a bunch of people and it would always be a party. So we would usually just be hanging out at my house. Mm. Everyone would stay with me. Was there any... um like uh, early moments where, like, did you see Metallica at a small club or like something that's like, fuck, I can't believe this happened. I, I never seen Metallica at a small club, but I did see Slayer several times at um, the Stone. At the know, Stone Street. on Broadway? Yeah, cross street from me on Broadway. With, yeah. with Chuck, like, probably I was 17 or something. Damn. We were really into metal. Um, but I mean, but the shit, man, with free beer, the bands we played with, you know, from 80 to 84, we, I mean, DOA, we played a bunch of times with, we became friends with those guys. We yeah. played with Black Flag, we played with Circle Jerks, played Wasted Youth, we played with Dead Kennedys a bunch of times, we played with the Bad Brains when they first came, and they played Ruthie's Inn, we played the show with them. In yeah, Berkeley? Was, yeah. Wow. And that was like frazzling your mind, man. That was just like, that just... Had you not even heard or seen them? I, I did not know about them at that time. No way. We just seen these Rastafarian dudes show up. I'm like, whoa, trip out. Get up on stage and just annihilate the place. Everybody. I just remember just sitting there just literally being just fucking start, like just struck, just um, not – knowing what to think because because they would just whip into fucking sailing and on or something next thing you know they're like playing this fucking you know reggae dub tune you're just like what is happening you know and it just it really did change your perception of of what is punk rock Mm. Um, and those dudes were the baddest after that i would see them every single time they came to the city every single time never missed them and so, you know, we played with Bad Brains, we played with, we played with the Lewd, we played with Fear when, we played with Fear in maybe 82, maybe 83, somewhere in there, um, at the Fillmore, but, but at the, then it was called the Elite Club because it closed the Fillmore West for a while, you know, the one on Geary, they closed it for X amount of years and it became a punk club. So we played with Free, uh, Fear, Free Beer played with Fear there, 
And so, you know, at the show, it was, it was insane. It was mayhem. And when we were playing before the show, we went and bought a case of, that was a time when there was all those generic products on the market. I don't know if you remember, it just said like cereal or pasta, white, you know, the yellow can, it was a beer. Yeah, we bought, so we bought those and took a Sharpie and wrote free above the beer. So it said free beer. And Shrugi was sit, standing on stage like near the drummer. And when we started playing, he was taking these whole cans of beers and hucking them out at the, at the audience, like full fucking, just full fucking baseball pitch right into the crowd. Because people were like, free beers! And you just throwing them out there at people. It was, I was like, oh my God, man, I'm so grateful no one got fucking murdered. So we played with fear at that show. A bunch of skinheads showed up and my brother and Monty, I don't know if you know, Monty went out there and like confronted them and they kicked them out. It was a whole scene, man. So we played with fear at, at the elite, which is the Fillmore. Um, we played with uh, uh, the Dickies at one time. We played black flag, of course. Um, we played with the last show was suicidal tendencies and the angry Samoans at the Longshoreman's hall, I believe. Ooh. And that was 84. And that was, Damn. that was our last show. So yeah, I mean, so we played with tons of people that came through the city. Did you have a favorite venue in SF back then? Uh, I'd have to say the Mab. Just the Mab. Could sneak in there. Yeah. You know, like, you weren't like, even 21. Oh, dude, I wasn't even, I was, 13 the first time we went there i think 12 13 mm-hmm. the first time we played there you know under when we were revenge i think it was um they snuck me in a, a kick drum case they put me in the case to get me in the club because i wasn't old enough to be in the club. <laughs> so when really? I, I got up on stage and i went and we went to play there dirk dirksen you know ran the joint was like was pissed he was like how did they get in here because my brother wasn't 21 he was maybe 16 you know and so but he let us play. He let he let us play. He let us finish the set. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, man. it was it was a golden time, man, because it was it's a time when you could still get away with stuff. Where now, you know, kids growing up like my son, he'll never get to experience the shit that I did. No, well, he'll expe- he'll experience it virtually. Yeah, <laughs> which does nothing for the true experience. That sucks. Um. So how did you get pulled into real? How did, how did that all happen? Um, well, you know, Jim, Jim was writing for Powell. Like I got Jim on Powell, you know, I was giving him boards and stuff before he got on and he got on Powell and you know, we were thick as thieves. We used to, you know, skate together all the time. And we'd always talked about wanting to do something together. So, um, he split Powell and went to SMA and, um, around 90 late 90 you know i was i was getting backburnered by powell because you know they had new guys come up gabe and you know um frankie hill and guy mariano guy and uh and and pablo and you know all those dudes Hmm. coming up um and they were they were kind of putting me on the back burner and that was during this second maybe free uh, contest in the city you know, at the fountains in front of city hall. Yeah. Maybe the second one. I can't remember first or second. They were kind of backburnering me and I knew it. And my TM had said something to me that I was like, I just, uh, it rubbed me the wrong way. So at the end of the contest, you know, Fausto comes up to me and talks to me and says, Hey, you know, we're starting this company. 
and we wanted to be part of it. And Jim, you know, so I talked to Jim about it because Jim, they had already talked to Jim and Jeff talked to him because Jeff Clint and Jim were good friends. So then they talked to me about it and I was like, you know, I, I seen the writing on the wall with Powell, you know, they were going to cut me at some point. And so I was like, well, this, of course, I'm, me and Jim have always wanted to do something together. And this is the opportunity. And I'd known Fausto and Eric, like I said, forever. So, and I'd written for Indy since day one. Mm-hmm. Made sense. And then do you, who was the original, the team? Uh, hey, I, before I, before we came aboard, there was already a, a team in place. Like Henry, I know that. And I think Sluggo. Um, yeah. Was and, Solomon or no? No, not 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 at that time. Okay. Someone else too, though. Who else was it? Ah, man, I have a terrible memory. Henry and Henry and and Sluggo were definitely the first two dudes. Did, did Henry get kicked off? Did he do something or? No, he, I don't. I think he quit. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly. I went down. He, I think he quit. But you know, he, Henry was he was young and he was aggressive. And he had a lot of heat, you know, he had a lot of anger in him. Fuck this, you know, and probably riding for a bunch of old tea dogs, <laughs> you know, like he was probably over it. He's like, ah, what do these guys know? Cause he was on the forefront of what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. with all the EMP dudes, those dudes were just fucking innovating down the, on the daily. So, you know, it made sense for him to leave. Was that contest that you're talking about? Was that the one that you won and you gave the trophy to Mike Carroll? No, I think, no, no. Cause I was, that was real. That was when I was writing a Celts board. That was the second one then. Yeah, because because that there's that photo of me doing an ollie, and I'm, I could see you. I'm writing a Celts board in that one. It was that. And one. then I, what I heard is you gave the trophy to Mike Carroll, and Mike gave it to Cardiel. Oh, did he? That's what I heard. Oh, I never heard that part. No, I get I gave it to Mike, and then uh, but I kept the money because I had to pay rent <laughs> because I had quit Powell, and I went from making. I don't know, at Christmas time, the amount of money you made, but I go, go from make like 80 grand a year to like 30. And I was like, oh shit. And I had to get another roommate. So I was like, I ain't giving you the money though. Sorry. I'm pragmatic. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Dude. Because it's Mike Carroll. You're like, dude, really? Like, come on, whatever. Damn. Yeah. Um, I got a few questions from a few people that uh, I wanted to include. Sure. Um, Starting with Chuck Treese, he's got a couple. He says, how did the chicken make beef, and what is the meaning of sandwich? <laughs> oh, my. He, yeah, see, that's – see? Yeah. Doesn't, need, doesn't need an answer, does it? We don't need an answer. And then the meaning of bass guitar in relationship with your music. Well, you know, for me, bass, that's what I grew up playing, you know, like – grew up playing the bass and the bass is a foundation, right? The bass and drums are the foundation without bass and drums being solid. You don't have a band. It doesn't even matter how good the guitar player is or anybody else mm. without bass and drums being tight. doesn't matter. So I just gravitated towards bass. I, I, and first, my first instrument was a guitar. Very first, you know, like meow, 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 trying to figure it out. And then I switched to bass quickly because we needed a bass player because my brother switched from drums to guitar. So I, so they're like, you're playing bass. I'm like, okay. Like I didn't know any better. And, and, but then bass came really naturally for me. I, you know, I've been playing bass the entire time, but guitar just happened out of necessity for me. when I started making my solo instrumental music stuff, like when I first started, 
I was 19. When I first got my first Powell check, I bought a four track and a drum machine and I had my bass and my guitar. And so that's when I first started recording solo stuff. Oh. When I was 19, very, I moved out. I lived with Eric Hilton. Remember Eric Hilton, T-Bone? Oh Scott. yeah. 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 So that's how that happened. But anyway, the ba- bass is the foundation. We're going to try a technological advancement here on the podcast. Uh-oh. See if you can see if you can hear this. Dennis Buzinitz, he says. Uh, was, was there like a specific thing that happened that prompted him to write End Racism on his board in the band this video? Ask him that. Not, not necessarily specific, um, but I had, <clears throat> I had been reading a lot of um, nonfiction you know, in U.S. history, um, and specifically about, like, the Black movement and the, and the, and the struggles, and as well as uh, Native American movements that were happening, you know, in the 60s and 70s. Um, and I had read, a, you know, autobiography by uh, um, MLK and autobiography by uh, Malcolm X, and also um, a bunch of reading of about Native American history, and specifically... Um, some of the, you know, main uh, um, natives to help change the sort of, or try to, you know. Um, And so I was reading just about a lot of that stuff. And um, and then that was also at the same time when there were a lot of skinheads uh, around Hate Street. Because, you know, when I used to work up there at the skate shop and they they would come in, there was a couple guys who were friends with, you know, some uh, like the dude from NBC when we worked there and uh, they would come in and they were always cool. <laughs> they, it was really strange cause they were always fine to me, but they're fucking skinheads and they weren't like, they weren't the sharp skinheads. They were straight skinheads and they, and then they were friends with all of these other fucks. So <clears throat> at that time I just was young and I was just angry, you know, at it all. And, and, uh, and obviously not being a Caucasian, um, you know, I had some slurs thrown at me and so forth. And, but that was like, whatever, you guys are idiots. Didn't really affect me. But that, that's really what it led to is, is all of the hatred um, that, was, that was going on as well as what I had been reading. Um, it just led me to just being pissed. You know, when, and there was, that's my vehicle, right? That, that's my vehicle for the message. That's, and so I figured <clears throat> if I could put this message on my board, which is my vehicle for my voice and for who I am and my expression, then perhaps maybe people would hear it, you know, because I was in a, a position, I had a forum as a professional skater mm. to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, How did that feel when um, the George Floyd, I think was the incident where it, at least in my mind, I started seeing people were posting that old photo of you. And then, I mean, that started circulating pretty quick. And then uh, Deluxe made those boards again that I've seen in shops and stuff that are basically kind of a remodel of it, right? Like a modern twist or whatever. Yeah. Um, It was, I mean, it was great to see the take on this life, this new life, you know, 30 years later. Um, It's unfortunate that it had to, of course, but um, seeing it, it, it's amazing because I'm sort of felt removed from it because it's about the message, you know, and it's, it was just like, Oh, cool. People are, are gravitating towards the message and are down to um, spread the word. And so it was just making its rounds all over the internet, all over social media and shit. 
Um, and it was fucking cool. It was, I mean, it was cool. I'm glad that it, it, it exists. With, with the situation that we're in now and have been for the last four years, we need that message to ring true more than ever. Um, we have this rise of um, neo-fascism, neo-Nazis, and all these ignorant people running around openly, admittingly um, being racists and intolerant and lacking understanding, lacking knowledge. It's just difficult. It's, it's a really hard thing <clears throat> to kind of witness and it's unbelievable in, in 2020 that this is going on. You know, I have a 16 year old son and he has my skin tone, you know, out of default. He, and I want to make sure that he's never in a situation um, that compromises him and his health, you know, and his safety um, be, just because of the shade of his skin. So I think that the more we push that message out there, um, just the better. Because it, it hopefully makes people question, question it all, question why. Why does racism exist? What's it about? What are the roots? What are the causes? How can we unlearn it? Because um, hatred is a learned thing, right? We learn that from our parents. We learn it from friends, from family, et cetera, so that you can unlearn it too. You can unlearn it just by having conversations with people that you think you don't like. And really it's a lot of the times you'll find out that, Oh, well, there's so much in common that we, we have so much in common that it just doesn't make sense, you know, cause everybody, everybody wants the same things in life. Really. It's pretty fun, you know, pretty, pretty simple. The fundamentals are just being happy, healthy, safe. And you want your kid, your kids to be the same and you want your children to grow up, you know, um, being happy and healthy, a decent education, and everybody just wants a, a def, decent job so they can just exist in, in a you know humane way. Hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty basic. And then all the all the politics and religious beliefs aside, you know that's 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 the other stuff. And we can come to we can come to an agreement that we just don't see eye to eye on certain things, which is fine. Sure. Doesn't mean that you have to hate one another. Mm. Uh, it's just a lot of ignorance is where it stems from. Do you think that right now that we're any better off than we were um, back then? Like, are we making strides? We, um, of course. I mean, definitely made strides. I mean, look where we're at. It's it's incredible. Um, you know, gay marriage has been accepted. I, I saw a lot of the sports teams, like yeah, uh, um, Washington Redskins, no longer uh, Cleveland Indians, no longer like. Yeah. They're actually like, we've affected other people like with our brand, we're going to change. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's incredible. That's be, but that's because so many people have has forced their hand. Mm. They forced them to do this. And that's how, that's the only way things change is when you have enough people, you have a collective of people that force the issue for change because they know that, well, if we're doing this and X amount of people feel, you know, um, are affected in a negative way by it that we need to shift because otherwise we're not going to have a, a base to support what we do. And that's a lot of it comes from, um, you know, economics, just financial reasons, right? A lot of people, a lot of those people, they don't care. A lot of them are just corporate fucks, but mm. their bottom line is going to drop. And they're like, Oh, we need to make sure we're pulling X amount of billions. So we need to, we need to acquiesce to what these people want. And so, that's how that's how things change the people get things to change nobody these corporations these people they don't change on their own they don't just go oh i'm gonna i woke up on the right side of the bed today i'm gonna do the right thing mm. i'm not gonna be you know 
uh, misogynistic or, or fucking derogative or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or racist or whatever the case may be. It, it doesn't happen that way. It's only through, through force from the people's will that these people change. I mean, look at, look at our election, like what just happened, you know, luckily fucking, you know, we, people did the right thing. Yeah. You and I are both older gentlemen. I'm probably a lot older than you, but um, I don't think so. This year, we've never seen it even close, right? This is the craziest year by far. Yeah. How old are you? 64. (laughs) No, you're not. You're younger than I am. (laughs) I'm trying to be nice. (laughs) Okay. I appreciate it. No, no. Yes. Okay. That's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm just like... What an insane year, right? Like, we don't even have to really say it, but everyone can see clearly this is an insane year. But, like, I think in the history, like, I talked to my parents who are both still alive. Was anything like, like, Vietnam, maybe? Like, who know, Like I don't know, but this was fucking nuts. Yeah. It was, it was insane. <laughs> the layers of horror that 2020 brought is just is insane i mean you could never have it was a perfect storm right um and the fact that we've all kind of made it out fairly unscathed there were a lot of us anyway and a lot of us didn't um is is pretty amazing um but when we reflect on 2020 and you know 10 another 10 years it's we're going to just probably wonder how we all made it through like this whole, the, you know, as a country, yeah. hopefully we, we, from here, hopefully start to some real change starts to happen, you know, mm. hopefully time will tell some kind of equity for, for, uh, you know, for everyone. Mm. I know Tim McKenney is listening in and he's like, how the hell have you not mentioned Phil yet? Cause that's like what he does every week. He'll be like, dude, <laughs> But you and I have talked a lot um, in the, throughout the years about how special Phil was. And could you talk about like some of the special moments you have seen with Phil or whatever? You know, my, my relationship with Phil, like I didn't really know him, you know, we weren't necessarily friends or anything. Um, we, before he passed, we started to um, kind of build a rapport because I would see him at the lunch spot out in Hunter's Point right near the mag. Mm. You know what, you know, what's that spot called? It was, it was right near the mag that every, we all went to. The burrito place or no? No, no, not, not the Mexitessen. Uh, oh, the Outback or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where the bump to Jersey barrier is. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I would see him out there at lunchtime all the time and we would just start talking and, and we were talking about like, oh, we should go skate and go hang out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and we were starting to sort of notice that we had sort of a kindred thing, you know, spirit to some degree, like some similarities. Um, and we were like, it was cool because I was like, I was always in awe of him because whenever I'd see him skate, it was just like this. It was like when I used to see Christian Hisoi skate, you're like, he literally came out of the womb right onto a skateboard. Mm. <laughs> right onto it and you're just like holy shit it was like it was part of an extension of who he was you know physically i couldn't believe like <clears throat> when he went to miley and did you know 5 the top rail it didn't that didn't even make sense to me 
because mm-hmm. I had going, been going to Miley forever. Mm-hmm. And then when they put the bars up, it was just like, what the <laughs> fuck? Because the bars, you know, are what, like four inches from the lip? Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. There's no time to get that type of height that you need. You know, like when I when I would ollie off something, you know, you need a certain amount of distance to reach a certain yeah, trajectory. Right? There's, an arc, there's an arc to it, yeah. Where you have to go literally straight up on to it. And so I didn't I didn't understand how he could do that. It mm. just fucked my head up so bad. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. And you know, again, and just seeing him skate and all the video shit, all the footage that I would see when those guys would go on trips, they'd come back and there was that one like out of the bowl to the railing, like a five oh, like oh yeah. I think Scotland maybe and back in just but it looked like it looked like a front pivot on a fucking quarter pipe or whatever. That clip you reposted last night, it I think it's Tampa. He just goes like low to high off a quarter pipe to Smith grind. So crazy perfect. Like flawless. what the fuck? Flawless. Yeah. <laughs> just flawless. Just been right in in that king test training. It comes in, he's like, mm. it's like, yeah, he he had something else, you know. He was he just he was one of those ones. He was one of the few who had that really extra special ability yeah yeah fucking a yeah we've lost some amazing people for sure um on the way out can we do a quick little like blip 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 favorite smith grind who's got a good smith i don't know man that that's a weird that's an odd question um (laughs) you know who has an insane backsmith is barker yeah it was so he, the way he did him was so crazy. Like Barker on mini ramps, forget it. Yeah. What about uh? You got no no money limit, and you can go out for a real nice dinner in San Francisco. What restaurant do you go to? I would probably go to. Man, that's a that's a tough one. I'm just trying to think of like some old school stuff that we used to go to that, but we never went to fancy restaurants. I you know we went to. We go to um, La Cumbre or something. Uh. <laughs> I go to La Cumbre and I would just buy everybody burritos. And was that your favorite burrito spot? It was one of the first. So, what's the one up on Geary? Gordos. That was a popular one too. Gordos. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the one I grew, I grew up on. You know, on Seventh Avenue, there's one on Ninth Avenue, and that was there when I was a kid. And mm. so, it's different though. It's a different burrito. It's not. It's not like a mission style. It's different. I love blue plate. I'll give them, I will say blue plate because I love blue plate. And I love yeah, Corey. Corey's loving that one. Oh, the fried chicken. Hey, it's Corey at blue plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Just fried chicken and the, when they do the deviled eggs. Oh, the beet salad is incredible too. I love the beet salad too. Yeah, it's so good. If you were going to move back to SF and money again is no issue, what neighborhood do you go to? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the craziest idea. It, it would be Petrero Hill because you get the most sun. Yeah. Because now that I've been, you know, I've been in East Bay for a while and I grew up in the sunset most of my life. And you and didn't I, know there was a sun? <laughs> yeah, getting away from the fog, it would be foggy all summer all summer long and then you leave the city and you're like oh it's what it's summer it's 100 degrees somewhere you know or there's sun over the hill yeah 
you know, I, I, I don't have an, uh, an affinity for the fog. Like mm. a lot of people do. Most people who love the fog, you know, who live in the city aren't from the city. And did you just put out a new album? It's coming out in January. Yeah. It's called. Was that all period. done through the um, lockdown period or no? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, it, I, it started, it actually started at the end of last year and then finished this year. And then I have actually enough material for probably another album and a half too. So this one comes out in January. It's supposed to come out this year, but with all the bullshit, all the noise out there and just, um, it just didn't seem right. And, and because, you know, of course, cause like you're trying to hustle, you know, a record and trying to get people to pay money for a record when they, no one's, you know, working. Yeah. Civil unrest when That's we true. have a government that is, you know, plotting a coup. Mm. <laughs> it's just, is it going to be dark? No, 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 not at all. It's called Sunshine Radio. Huh. Is it? Yeah, no. It's not it's, called it's, claustrophobia or like I can't no, get out of my house. No, no, not at all. It's, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, I record everything on my own and I have always, it's always been a solo mission. Like I'll have Chuck sometimes play on some records and I'll have Matt Rodriguez play percussion. All right. But most of the time, 95% is just me. So I'm always alone doing it anyway. So I'm used to being alone. Um, so for me, I've been fortunate that during the lockdown, like, you know, hanging out with my son or hanging out with my girlfriend. I'm super solo, like mm. always alone. I never skate with anyone. No one ever comes skate with me. I ride with my son. We go to skate park or whatever, you know. So I don't have a lot of contact with the, with the outside world. Mm. <laughs> the last record, I was super stoked because people really um, somehow related to it and connected with it. Like all over the world, man, I get these crazy crazy DMs and, um, you know, uh, people posting their stories and, and all over the world, every nook and cranny of the world. And I'm always blown away that it's made it that far. That's so sick. It's fucking so cool. Oh man. Hey, yeah. um, can I take a, a real quick break and then we'll finish sure. up? I just got pissed real bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey yo, what it is though? It's the boy be legit. Saying clean black sea, rich rich. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the block where the sun up or sun down. A couple pounds on the clip for the forty round. I hit the town like where's that? What it do? You come through and get a few for the 32, 33, 34, there's still a go. And real niggas know the double back by the dough. You can do the snow, but I'ma do the green. Real niggas on the team like you move me. Were you a part of that sticker war thing on Instagram? You got a big sticker collection? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I um, I was I was posting stuff. I mean, it was a while ago, but yeah, I posted stuff. Yeah, I have most of the shit I have though is pre nineties. Mm. You know, like I only have some stuff from real, and that's it. Like everything's before no nineties stuff. Everything's eighties and earlier seventies. Oh, rad! That's that's what I have. I I've sold a bunch of stickers. I've sold a bunch of shit. Um, I sold stuff when I was building my studio out in the city. Um, and then I've sold just, I've sold a bunch of stickers and given some away. I mean, I still have a bunch, you know, um, but you know, I don't know. They, maybe at some point they'll need to go to a better home. You know, what am I going to do? With them? 
That's what I've been. I've been purging. So I, I pulled everything out. I'm kind of thinking about making a binder and putting like one of each in it, and then getting rid of the. I don't know something. That, that's what I have. I've had that from the early '80s. I have a binder with just all these stickers in it, you know. Sick. But then I have boxes full of stickers and shit. It's there. It was fun to collect. But you know, I, I'm a hoarder. You know, I'm like hoarder are, junior. Are you? Yeah, I'm not like Lance. I'm not like Lance Mountain. I'm not that level of hoarding. But I'm like Hoarder Jr., you know, like I have every one of my real boards, of course. I have every one of my Powell boards. Um, I sold most everything else that I had. I have a few other things as far as boards go. And I have some old boards, like the one I showed you. Um, yeah. And then I have tons of stickers. I have some T-shirts, a bunch of T-shirts. And I've gotten rid of a lot of T-shirts. Um, and, you know, mem- I have memorabilia and stuff. But I hoard, like, I have tons of art. And I, I'm a hoarder. I got lots and lots of stuff. I have thousands of records and I gave away thousands of records, which I need to get rid of more, you know? What do you do with your t-shirts? Uh, it depends. Like I've sold some to collectors, some in Japan and some in LA. They, you know, um, just heavy collectors and, you know, they pay fucking money for them. In Japan. Yeah. Even here, there's guys here that pay, you know, good, good money for the stuff. And, you know, for me, I see a T-shirt and they want to pay X amount of money. I'm like, ooh, this is a new guitar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's true. It's hard to get rid of them, though, just to get rid of them. Like, if someone's going to buy them, yeah. that's one thing. But if it's like, I don't know, like I got the Grasso Coca-Cola shirt. It doesn't even fit me, but it's like, I can't get rid of it. No, I, I know. You know, a lot of this stuff ends up, should go to those skate museums. That's what uh-huh. it is. They don't have it, you know. That's, that's what I think. I have... I have some things that maybe, you know, will end up at one, one of them somewhere. I, I don't know. I mean, I have my board from the very first cover of Thrash, no, the second cover of Thrasher, the Lean Air at Wallows. I have that board, the full deck. It's totally beat because I gave it to, <clears throat> I left it at my friend's house, Ray Meyer's house, and he wrote it. He, he was a freestyler, so he cranked the trucks down super tight and must have been like pogoing on it or some shit because the tail's destroyed. The trucks are clamped down. It's, it's so bizarre. I got it back because I'm, you know, his, I know his brother, good friends. And um, he got it back to me a handful of years ago. And I was like, well, how seems beat to shit? But it's the board. It's that board from that cover. Did you know that um, Ray Meyer's ramp ended up in my backyard? I didn't realize that. <laughs> So I, I, you're way back when, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was the name of the ramp? It was just, I live with my mom still. Like we talked her into it and we just put it, but it didn't last long because the neighbors, we asked the neighbors, they were cool. And then as soon as we built it, they weren't cool. They were. And then they got the cops. Like I lived in San Carlos. So it was like a very, like not a place to do that. Yeah. Um, later, we had the crib ramp when I moved out with my my friends and stuff. Yeah, that, that was sick. Yeah, so and, so and fun. No neighbors and lights. Dude, heavy sessions on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pastors would always come down with like a little crew and people. Eric J would show up at midnight, like knock on the door, and be like, "Can I skate?" It's <laughs> like, "Sure." I, I, I Him guess. and Coco, actually. Yeah, Coco. I, I, I seen Eric J twice. Really? Yeah, I seen him and he was ripping. He still, like, I seen somebody skating in an unmistakable style. You know, his style, like, oh, yeah. Unmistakable. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Eric J. So he rapped for a bit. Was cool. oh, he's a Pacifica legend. Yeah. <laughs> that dude, he used to come to BK's ramp and just fucking go to work. 
Right. Forget it. Never even knew what the fuck he was doing. Tommy, look at this one. This is a sticker I pulled out. Damage. What is that? That's a sticker for the actual video box for Think Damage. Oh, really? Dan Drahobo, Sergi Ventura, Wade Spire, Paul Zawanich, Phil Shaw, Vite Kilbert. was a very good video. Because everybody on that team, dude, was insane. All-terrain vehicle. Think had some sick skaters, man. I, I underrated. Paul was a ripper. Dude, that dude. Paul called me one night and said, hey, do you want to do the next Thrasher video? Fausto wants, needs somebody. I didn't even know how, what, why, when, or, huh? Yeah, yeah. but he's like, we'll get a computer. We'll figure it out. Yeah. That was raw. That was a Thrasher video eight. That's so rad. <laughs> well, but that's, that's how, I don't know. I, I don't mean to say just skaters. I don't mean to generalize and be, you know, but skaters are that way. Like, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Because I, I think it comes from realizing from skating, you know, how difficult it is. And you're sitting there, you're trying a trick a hundred times and taking the hits that trying something that is, you know, is uh, not menial, but less threatening physically <laughs> to do is like, sure, I'll give it a try. It, is it, it's easier than throwing myself into the concrete for fucking three hours, right? Oh, sure, no problem. I'll try yeah. What the heck, you know? And so we, we don't, um, we're not daunted by these unknowns, you know, that are thrown at us. We'll, we'll just, oh, sure, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, and sporadic, like you said, Mark, and people yeah. just like, they're used to doing things on the fly. Like, okay, we'll just improvise. We'll get it done. Figure it out as you go. And that's what I love about it. I mean, that was Jake to a T. Like, we would be out. He would be like, ba 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 ba, scorpions. No one let you know. Like, it's like, put it together. It's a wrap. He ordered it like a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. And are you still doing the BS with TG, or is that just on hiatus because of the COVID? Are you over it? Or yeah, because I can't get together with people. You know, yeah. um, I thought of doing the Zoom, but. I'd rather, I don't know. It's so, it's different, you know, being, being, um, you know, close proximity with somebody, you know, in a physical space and it just, it works better. I think um, mm -hmm. this thing for me, would, I, I don't know. I don't know if it would work or not. It definitely is like probably a lot of adjustments, like so much stuff and so much stuff can go wrong that you don't have to worry about normally. Like, Oh shit, the reception's off or whatever. Yeah. Plus, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with the technical aspect of it when I'm sitting there trying to interview someone, I want something, someone else to be dealing with that. I mean, I do all the technical stuff cause I record everything. So I'm constantly dealing with that and that's a, you know, enough of a headache. Mm. So to add that to my plate, it would just be like, ah, fuck. That's, it's not, I'm not inspired. Yeah. You know? Well, what song you get to pick a song to take us out of here? What, uh, bad brains sailing on. Sailing on. Hey, dude, I fucking so much appreciate um, you taking the time out. This means a lot to me. I don't know if you'll ever understand, but like growing up, watching you, idolizing you, San Francisco, the Bay Area, it means a lot to me. I don't know how I am, where I am, and I kind of consider us friends now, and that's like a big deal to me. And then 
to like have you on the show is is it's really cool to end it on like a hundredth note too. Like it just it's it feels perfect at the end, a couple of days before Christmas. You know, I want to end it with this story. You probably have heard it, but I don't know if you did. So I just wanted to say it. I'm in Copenhagen for my first and only time staying with Jake in a Airbnb, just us two. I got on the plane going there to a phone call from Sally saying Swenson's dead. I got on the plane. I got off the plane. Sipnewski picks me up and goes, I'm taking you to fucking Jake. And he is not doing good. He was the whole table was empty bottles and he was a mess. And I was like, great, me and him. First two days, hell. Then the third day, he kind of, we started, things were okay. He kind of came back to normal. And I don't know why I did that intro, but it was, it, it's a, it was a big part for me. It was, it was going to Europe for the first time and being scared and being with Jake and thinking like, is this guy going to off him? Like, I didn't know. But we meet up with Nikki Guerrero in Copenhagen and Nikki's wife is pregnant. And Jake's like, what are you going to name the kid? And Nikki's like, I don't know. He's like, Tommy motherfucking Guerrero. Doi. <laughs> <laughs> so I always held on. I love that shit. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. What year was that? That was fucking 2008 maybe i don't know it was wow. it was what well, was the year swanson died 2009 whatever I don't remember. it was literally the day sally called me crying as i was getting on the plane i was like i have anxiety for flying already like it was and i'm just like ah. <laughs> yeah that's a rough one yeah but yeah. big love dude and fucking thanks for just being you and always being humble. I appreciate like all the way you hold yourself, all everything you do. It's fucking class act and big love. Thanks, Mitty, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, it's cool doing this. Thank you, man. Hopefully we'll see each other in person before 2022. Fuck. Yeah, God, <laughs> I, I hope. All right. All oh, right. um, and <laughs> one last, last thing. So this could be my last episode. Or you could say you're going to do episode 200 because <laughs> I need something like I wasn't going to go to a hundred unless you did. 100. <laughs> well, there was, we didn't touch on a lot of subjects. So exactly. we could easily do another show. So yeah. I'll definitely do 200. And you know, MoFo needs to come on like three more times before that. At least just to get the fucking history of why he even exists in the skateboard world. And if anyone can bribe Blackheart, he's high in demand on my list. So if we could get him in, I'll let him tell his story exactly how he wants. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you tell him that, he'll do it. Okay. He'll do it. Well, fuck, dude. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cool. Later. Cheers. Have a good one. Everything is like a snack
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.